Today is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. So you know what's really fun and uh, somewhat mean? Funny how those two kind of come together sometimes. Is when you randomly ask a kid in a somewhat dad tone, what are you supposed to be doing right now? They almost always don't know how to answer. Or if they do, they, they, they respond like with a question, even when it's obvious of what they're supposed to be doing. You know, we're having dinner. You ask a kid, what are you supposed to be doing right now? And then, eating? They're doing their homework. What are you supposed to be doing right now? My homework? Even when it's obvious, they still question what, they, what should they be doing. You know, but that's, we give kids a pass, though, right? I mean, we give kids a pass because what should kids be doing? Kids should be enjoying life as they're learning about life. But what about adults? And let's just take it a step further for Christian adults. Christian adults in the room, when I ask you, what should you be doing? What are you supposed to be doing? Do you know how to answer? Do you have a confident answer of what you're supposed to be doing? Or do we guess? Because here's the reality. For Christians, our answer isn't just with our words, it's with our life. When, we, when someone asks you, what should you be doing right now? We should be able to say, just look at my life. That's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. You know, in this sermon series, we've been asking this question, what now? Now that Jesus has done all that he said he was going to do, dying on the cross for my sin and for your sin, rising from the dead like he said he was going to do, triumphing over Satan's sin and death, paving the way for salvation for all who will come to him, after he's done all these things and returned to heaven where he now rules and reigns and, where, and now when we wait for him to come, what now? What do we do? What are we supposed to be doing? What now? What is life like in light of the resurrection? Well, as we close up this sermon series today, hopefully we'll begin to answer the question with all confidence about what now and what should we be doing. You know, this is the time. Christ has returned to heaven. He has sent the Holy Spirit to fill and fuel the church for mission. So from now until Jesus returns, what do we do? Well, we see the church grow as we all live on mission. We're going to be talking about addition today. So would you please turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to close this up. Again, just a reminder, if you're just joining us, we've been walking through what, what was the first couple months like after Jesus rose from the dead. After he returned to heaven, what did the church do? What did those early Christians do? And today we're going to be closing up as we look at the last part of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So hopefully you're there. If not, would you please just hear as I read God's word? Would you hear, please, the word of the Lord? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and we'll continue. Would you please pray with me? Father God in heaven, as we look at life in light of the resurrection of Jesus, I pray that we would walk in that light, that we would embrace that light, that we would look to that light, that it might fill us so that we could shine that light. And I pray that here and now you'd give us the ears to hear, the mind to know, the heart to respond, and the spirit to act upon your love and your will for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And everybody said, amen and amen. So this passage that we're looking at, it details what these first believers did. Their simple but wondrous way of life. A way of life that was faith-filled. And this faith activated both a radical and humble behavior. And within that, we see the Lord continue to do great things. So as we look at the time that we are in, the time between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ, the time of the gospel going to the ends of the earth, the time of the church growing, here's what I'd have you take away from today. If I give you one main point for this as we close up this sermon series, God's plan for building churches starts with being boldly faithful. God's plan for building churches starts with being boldly faithful. So as we look at the question, what are we supposed to be doing right now? We are to be boldly faithful as we live in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And listen, I know this is a five-week sermon series. This is the last sermon of the series. We're all looking at Memorial Day next weekend and the launch of summer. We're all tired. We're all, we've had a great, great programming year. We've kind of full. It'd be very easy for me to take it easy on you today, but I'm not going to. We got some work here today. Typically, I give you about three, three points Today we're doing 10. Yes, 10. Get your Bibles out. Fix them. Do some work here. God calls us to be boldly faithful. That doesn't happen when we take a Sunday off. So first point here. God calls us to be boldly faithful to Jesus' teachings. Look at this first phrase here. And they devoted. They devoted themselves. Now, I think the word devoted, devotion... We can use that word often like we use our word love. We can use the word love in these different ways, meaning just not even close to the same thing. Like we, we would say, I love fishing and I love my wife, using that same word. But do they mean the same thing? Careful, gentlemen. Do they mean the same thing? Of course not. Of course not. Our love for our spouse is beyond comparison to our love for fishing. But what about devotion? When you think about what you are devoted to, I mean, does your devotion for Christ and to his teachings, is it more or less than your devotion to your job, to building your wealth, to sports, I mean, do you feel right using devotion, your devotion for Christ in the same way you talk about your devotion for these worldly things? 
Our devotion to the teachings of Jesus must be the canopy of which everything else falls under. When we look at this passage here, right out the gate, their devotion was to Jesus, and this informed their way of life. This was their filter and guide to everything else. And you may say, wait a second here, pastor. You said Jesus' teachings, but it says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. What's going on here? So let me clarify. What did the apostles teach? What Jesus taught. This, is, this goes back to the Great Commission. Jesus told his apostles at the end of Matthew, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the apostles' teachings equal Jesus' teachings. We follow the teachings of Jesus given through the apostles handed down by the word of God, the Bible. And this is why we are so boldly faithful to what the Bible says. Because it's, it's the teachings of God. It's the teachings of Jesus. And among the many things that Jesus did, and the many beautiful things that he taught, but one of the most beautiful things that Jesus did is that he brings people together. So we are to be boldly faithful to, de- to Jesus' teachings and boldly faithful to Christian friendship. They were devoted also to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the teachings of the apostles, meaning Jesus' teachings, and to Christian fellowship, Christian friendship. Because Christians, when we break bread, yes, we are having communion together as we remember what Christ has done for us, that his body was broken on that cross in our place for our sins. And because of what he has done, he builds us and brings us and binds us together. And our fellowship and our friendship is sealed by what Christ has done, by his sacrifice. I often ask a group of friends, especially when I, when I was a youth pastor and I see these groups of friends, I ask them, like, do you ever pray together? Or do you just hang out? Like that's one of the beautiful things about Christian friendship and fellowship is that we come together under what Christ has done. So I'm going to ask you real quick before we move to the next point. Why do you come to church? Do you come out of routine or out of relationship? Like, if you just come out of routine, out of tradition, I'm telling you, that's going to be a burden. You're going to resent that on those Sundays where you've had a long week and you're tired. If you come simply out of routine and tradition, I'm telling you, that's going to beat you down. But if you come out of relationship, and that's a commitment that you can give yourself to, relationship to Jesus and relationship to each other. I'll be the very first one to say here, church, that this building, these sticks and bricks, that's not the church. We, we who believe, we are the church. But I will say, like, when you come to this place and you walk into these doors, in a sense, I do want you to walk into this place and have it feel kind of like home. Like when you see these people, even though you don't know all their names, you, you look around and you say, these are my friends. This is my family. Listen here, not because we all look the same and not because we all like the same type of music, but because of what Christ has done. He brings us together by his blood so that we are now family. This is why we are to be boldly faithful to Christian fellowship and also to constant prayer. Look, they devoted themselves and to prayer. The Bible specifies, didn't just assume it, it specifies it, that we are brought together to be boldly faithful to constant prayers. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, with a straight face, with an absolute straight face, I have never, 
never met someone who spends too much time in prayer. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I've never, and I, I'm a pastor, I work with people and Christians all over the place. I have never met a person who spends enough amount of time in prayer. I have only ever in my entire life, I've only met people who should be spending more time in prayer. That's not to burden you. That's to invite you to something better. Did you know that the average person, when I say average person, this is a worldwide statistic. I'm just going to warn you, it's going to depress you, okay? The average person worldwide spends two and a half hours every day on social media. There's a reason most of you aren't shocked. Because you know this to be true. Two and a half hours a day on social media. Can you imagine what life would be like, what our culture would be like, if we spent just half of that in prayer? Our problem, the internet and social media has proven this without question. Our problem is not time. Our problem is focus, devotion, and priority. The world has shown ourselves that we are more devoted to social media than to prayer. Parents, do you take part in this? Clearly, we are allowing this. We are allowing this. And I know, believe me, I, I, I've worked in youth ministry. I have children of my own. I know that taking a phone away from a teenager is kind of like taking a steak away from a rabid pit bull. If you want to get bit, try and grab the phone, right? My, my precious. <laughs> Prove me wrong. Try it today, parents. In fact, get your spouse to record it while you're doing it, all right? I'm just kidding. Don't pick on your kids like that. But if you do, send it to me, okay? <laughs> seriously, though, two and a half hours, that just blows my mind. Imagine, seriously, if we just did a 50-50 on that. If we just said, you know what? I'm not taking your phone away. I'm just going to ask you to take half the time away and spend it in prayer. Do this as a family. I'm going to ask you right now. If we did that, if we just took half that time and put it to prayer, I wonder, do you believe we would see amazing things? then why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Because it's hard. And we are a culture that stopped doing hard things long ago. I'm challenging us all. Constant prayer. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. Constant prayer prayer. It wasn't assumed. It was specified. They devoted themselves to this. They devoted themselves to constant prayer. Make this a part of your life. Make this a part of the friendship that you have with people. Pray together. We also see that the early Christians set the example of being boldly faithful to awesome wonder. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe came upon every soul. I'm going to ask you right now, do you stand in awe of what God is doing? Or do you cower in fear about the way the world is going? 
I think there is a direct correlation with the amount of fear that we have and the amount of time we spend online. And if we spent more time with people, more time hearing stories, more time in scriptures, I think we'd stand, we'd, we'd have more time standing in awe and we'd have more awe of what God is doing. Of course, though, we don't stand in awe of God because we don't stand with our faces pointed towards the heaven, beholding all that God has made. We stand with our noses facing towards our phone. That's what we stand in awe of. This passage reminds me of that old hymn. O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. Let me just stop there for a second. When was the last time you stood outside and gazed at the stars? beholding the wonder of God. We're moving into a beautiful spring, summer season. We're getting some thunderstorms. I encourage you. I invite you. The next time a good thunderstorm rolls in, turn off all the lights in the house and just sit and listen to the rolling thunder and behold the power of God. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed This unfathomably large universe displays the power of God. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. When we stand and behold the power and the wonder of God, then sings our soul. See, I think a lot of us, we sing that song because we like that song or it reminds us of our childhood. That song is supposed to be in response to what God is doing in the world, in the universe. We need to reclaim an awesome wonder to our faith. There's a reason the word mystery is all over the New Testament. Because we are to stand in awesome wonder and awe came upon every soul. We might see more signs and wonders if we were more devoted to Christ's teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And this is why those, Christian, those first Christians set this example that they were also boldly faithful to one another. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Because when you are united by something that's so powerful as the blood of Jesus Christ, suddenly you can't help but just gather together. His blood brings us together, and so we are compelled to be together. And when we grow in faith, then we start to see what's really important. And all this stuff and the toys that we have, I'm not saying you can't have that. I'm saying at some point, though, you start to want to share it. You can't keep it to yourself because you want to be a part of what God's doing as he brings us together. I'm going to make a bold statement here, but I don't think there's a need that a person in this church has that can't be met by this church. I think we're big enough. I think we're resourced enough. I think we're faithful enough. If we have a need, I think this church will come around and see that need fulfilled. And our deacons, our deacons are here to help facilitate this. If you have a need, we want to be a church that's together, holds all things in common, meaning we're willing to share what's ours so that all the needs are met. This is what it means to be boldly faithful to each other. This is directly tied to the next next thing that we see. 
were called to be boldly faithful to sacrificial generosity. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were selling their stuff. That just blows me away. You got to be kidding me. Like someone had a need, they would sell what was theirs to make sure that person had what they needed. Unbelievable. One of my most prized possessions that I have is my grandfather's Purple Heart. My grandfather was awarded the Purple Heart in World War II when he was real young. Um, due, if you want to know the story, I can share with you later, but uh, due to an incident that actually caused him to lose his leg. Uh, and my whole entire life growing up, my grandpa, he's with the Lord now, uh, my grandpa had a wooden leg, like a straight-up pirate. <laughs> I remember knocking on that wooden leg, and, and I, being the oldest grandson, I got his purple heart. And I tell you what, um, a fire happens in my house. I'm going to go grab that thing, and then I'll get my kids. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. That was not fun. That, I'm, I did not mean that. I mean, I've never been put to the test, but, you know. <laughs> this thing's dear to me, okay? But So I'm going to ask you, how much would I have to love someone to sell that purple heart to make sure they had what they needed? What kind of love would I have to have for someone? Now listen here. That's the type of love we are to have for one another. Like, that's a, this, this purple heart, is a, it's, it's in a locked box. It's going to deteriorate one day. Like, the idea of selling that to, to give someone what they need, that should be a small example of the great thing, the great love that God calls us to be a part of. That we love each other more than we love our own stuff. And I know this may sound crazy, this may sound far-fetched, but let me ask you, isn't that the type of church you want to be a part of? Exactly. Isn't that the type of church that would make the world take notice? Isn't that the type of love that people would want to be a part of? Let our bold faith be evident in our sacrificial generosity for each other, that we're willing to not just share, but give up what we have for each other. They were willing to do that, and they saw God do great things. They were boldly faithful to sacrificial generosity, and they're also boldly faithful to regular worship. And day by day, attending the temple together. Day by day. I'm curious, who knows what I'm talking about when I reference the slap heard around the world? Anybody? A few of us? Do you know what the slap heard around the world is? Is when Will Smith recently got up. Okay, now we know, yeah. And slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars, got in front of the watching world, and slapped a man on stage. It got me thinking, what would it, what would it take to cause me to walk up on stage in front of the watching world and actually slap a man? What would it take? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not a fighter. I don't pretend to be a tough guy. But if there is, if there is one thing that makes me want to slap people, it's when they say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I could go Will Smith on someone who says that. 
I love what Pastor Tony Evans says in response to the statement. When, when Pastor Tony Evans hears someone say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, his response is beautiful. He says, yeah, and you don't have to go home to be married either. Listen to me. I, I'm here to tell you that going to church isn't proof that you're a Christian. But it is what Christians do. These first Christians gathered every single day. And I'm hearing more and more that Christians will say they go to church. And you know what that means? They go once a month. Like we barely go once a month. They went every single day. And we wonder why we, saw, we see God move in miraculous ways then, but we don't now. They went to church every single day, day by day. Did you know that secular, non-Christian studies will tell you there is a correlation between those who regularly go to church, those who regularly go to church are less likely to deal with mental health issues like depression. That's from secular sources. Going to church is good for you. It's good for your family. It's good for your community. It's good for your mental health. But you know what? We'd rather, quote-unquote, let people off the hook and tell them you don't have to go to church to be a Christian so that they can feel good about lazy church attendance showing up maybe once a month. And we leave out the fact that people who go to church on a regular basis are generally happier people. Perfect? No. Definitely not perfect. We're not claiming to be perfect here. But the secular, non-Christian studies will, will tell us people who go to church, less likely to deal with depression, generally happier people. Church, I'm going to tell you, God will not bless a church whose people are lazy about gathering or whose church attendance comes second to worldly endeavors. There's no bold faith in that. We will not see things change. We will not see all the things we hope to see in this world when we are lazy about gathering on a regular basis. Just not going to happen. They were boldly faithful to regular worship day by day. Man, we can barely make it once a month. They went every single day. So I think once a week should be the, not the, the, the minimal priority for Christians. And you know what's beautiful about this church here? Is that we actually have something going on every single day. This, 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 this rant I'm on is not against Peace Church in particular. I mean, literally every single day we have people gathering here. But Sunday morning is one of the rare times that we as an entire church can gather. This should be a priority for ourselves, for our family, for our faith, and definitely if we want to see any change happen in this world. They were boldly faithful to regular worship, and they were also boldly faithful to joyful gratitude. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, um, Definitely pray more, but something you should also do just once or twice a week is just pick up the Bible and read a proverb. If you read the Proverbs, you're going to find some beautiful, beautiful pieces of wisdom in there. And I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you one of my favorite ones. Proverbs 15, verse 17. 15, verse 17. It says this. It says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Meaning... This is a hard one for me to hear. Meaning, it's better to have a salad for dinner in a happy home than a juicy steak where everyone hates each other. I'll trust the Bible on that one. 
What the Bible is saying is that it's better to have little with lots of love than to have lots of stuff with little love. So what we need to do is we need to look at our homes and our lives right now and say, do you have more stuff or do you have more love? Think of a lot of Americans. Like we think love is found in the stuff. And so to compensate for a lack of love, we get more and more stuff. What keeps us in more and more bondage. The Bible says it's better to have lots of love and little stuff than to have lots of stuff and little love. Look at your family and your home. Take an assessment. Do you have more possessions or do you have more love? More stuff or more love? And let me ask you, what would you rather have? Guarantee you'd rather have more love. A true faith Christians in the house, a true faith leads us to be joyful and grateful, having more love than stuff, knowing that we are not lacking because God, the great provider, through his church, he will take care of each other. And God blesses this when people have joyful gratitude. He blesses this. And you know what we also have? We also will have a godly testimony. And we are to be boldly faithful to a godly testimony praising God and having favor with all the people. Of course they were praising God. Of course they were. They were happy with what they had. They had friends. They had fellowship. They had salvation in Jesus' name. They had their needs taken care of. There was was joy and happiness. They had community. They had a community they wanted to be with. They were kind people with love and joy and peace. No wonder people looked favorably upon them. Church, I've talked with so many people, and they, you know a lot, a lot of Christians will tell me? They said that they wish they had a more dramatic testimony. That because they were raised in a good Christian home and came to Christ at an early age, they feel like that's lacking. I'm going to tell you right now, a, a humble, faithful Christian life is a godly testimony. Be thankful that you were raised in a home that loved the Lord and loved the Bible. I wish more homes were like that. When we follow the pattern that the Bible gives us to live out our faith, people will take notice. The world will take notice if we pursue a humble, faithful Christian life. That will produce a godly testimony. And God will respond by blessing a church with that sort of bold faith. He will bless that church with more people. So the last thing is that we need to be boldly faithful to receiving people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Church, let me ask you, when you see God do this, how do you respond? Do you say, when when, when God grows your church, do you say, thanks God, but no thanks? No thanks God, we had enough. God, can you slow down? God, you're sending too many people. I haven't had a chance to get to know everyone yet. Let me answer this for you. No, that's not how you respond. When God grows your church, I'll tell you how you respond and how we are going to respond here at Peace Church. We welcome them in and then we make more room for them. That's what we do when the Lord grows his church. Now listen, in our marketing world, there are ways that we can be creative and attractive to trick people to come in here on Sunday morning. But if we are boldly faithful, we will see the Lord add to our numbers. I think we should be faithful. Let the Lord do the adding. 
You know, of all the things we've looked at, it was the Christians doing these, these things. They were being devoted. They were being prayerful. This is the first time this passage says that the God does something. Jesus builds his church. The Lord builds his church. He does the adding. He calls us to be faithful. By his blood, Jesus builds his church. Don't you want to be a part of that? When we are boldly faithful, we do. And I'm going to say this to you, Peace Church. God's doing great things in this world. I believe he is, and I believe he's doing it here. And if you are part of the Peace Church family, hear me on this. You have a front row seat to seeing God do amazing things. Embrace it. Welcome it. Get excited about it. And be boldly faithful in response to it. His will is being done. I believe his kingdom's coming. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Are you? Amen. Amen. Would you please stand and let's prepare our hearts for worship.